Is anybody else excited to be at church this morning? Woo! It just gets better than I think every week. That was awesome. Thank you, worship team, wherever y'all went. Can we give them a round of applause and thank you? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. This morning, open up to Mark chapter 9. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. You are, uh, you're marked this morning. You, you are a marked man. You are a marked woman. I don't know if you know it or not, or if you're like, what does that even mean? I don't even totally know, but that's what you are this morning. I've been uh, really fired up all week, and you might look at me and say, well, you're always fired up, but I've been especially fired up this week. God uh, is just so good, and I actually, I prayed this week. Usually, I pray, God, would you bring our whole city to hear about you and everything? That's what I usually pray every week, but this week, I just pray, God, bring the ones who are ready to burn. So whether you know it or not, or know what that means or not, or even if you follow Jesus or not, you are ready for what God wants to do this morning, because he brought you here. So watch out, I guess. I don't know. It's going to be better than you expect. I'm ready for it. God is ready this morning. We're going to talk this morning, go ahead and write this at the top of your notes. Very complicated title this morning, Prayer and Fasting. Prayer and Fasting is what we're going to talk about this morning. Like I said, I uh, have been... Just getting, uh, I just, you know, sometimes you see God in a fresh way and it just lights you up and it fills your heart. And I've, that's just kind of been me all week. And so my goal this week is not to give, or yeah, this morning, my goal is not to give you tons of practicals or like answer all of your questions about prayer and fasting. Uh, we're about to start a three-day prayer and fast. So if you want to learn how to practically respond to prayer and fasting, the best way is just to do it and you kind of learn along the way. So we've got three days of practicals coming. And so that's not what this morning is for, which means my one goal is to just go real hard and preach full on. So are you ready to receive full on? Okay, don't expect me to answer a bunch of questions. I just, I'm like excited. <laughs> so it's going to be fun. Just get ready to catch on fire a little bit with the love of God. So it's going to be awesome. And I'm leaving town after this for a couple of days. So my goal is to preach so hard I just fall asleep on the plane. So got to get some energy out. So here we go. Go to your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, to set up uh, what we want to talk about this morning. I want to update you on something that's going on. We mentioned this last week. If you follow us on Instagram, you saw us mentioning this throughout the week. But there is an event happening right now. It started on Friday and it goes through tomorrow called Awaken the Dawn. And for the first time in history, in the history of our nation, the National Mall right now has a small tent city on it. There's over 50 different tents. There's one for each state, and there's one tent for each region of the country, and every single one of them is filled with believers. And since Friday through tomorrow is four days of 24-7 prayer and worship asking God to move in our country and turn our hearts to him. We're asking for um, a new Jesus movement. Was anybody around during the first Jesus movement in the room in the 60s? Anybody around in the 60s? A handful. Okay, not a lot. So most of us don't know. In the 60s, among the, the hippie movement, God did amazing things. And that's not usually what you hear about the 60s, but God was doing revival in the Jesus movement in the midst of those who were quote unquote most lost. God finds them because that's what he does. And uh, we're praying for that to happen again in our time. I want it. So anyways, Awaken the Dawn has been happening. And uh, as, a, as a movement of churches, we've talked about Antioch and Karis mentioned the different churches. We've got about 30 different churches in the United States that we're a part of. And as a response to what's going on with Awaken the Dawn, we are going to be praying and fasting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to kind of join in with what God is doing, this moment of God raising up the church to pray and believe 
for a new move of God in our cities and in our nation. So that's what we're doing the next three days. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a few things coming for you. So pay attention right now to this slide that's about to come up. There's videos online Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. There's going to be a different video each day on how you can practically be praying that day. So if you think, I don't know how to pray, don't worry about it. We got you covered. Just jump in. It's going to be awesome. And then Wednesday night, we are all going to get together at Todd and Lexia Meek's house. Anybody love Todd and Lexia? We're going to get at their house 6 to 7.30 for some time of prayer and worship all together. So you may be on your own Monday, Tuesday, but come together Wednesday. Be there. We're, we're going to have child care there. It's all taken care of. You've got no reason not to be there. It's going to be a blast. So be there Wednesday night. Everybody say, I'm going to be there. All right. Don't lie. Especially in church. So <laughs> I heard somebody say, wow. Yeah, I pulled that card. Anyways. When we talk about prayer and fasting, I think that there's two questions that immediately come up, at least that come up in me, and as I've been with people and try to dig into this over years, it's what is it? What's prayer, what's fasting, and why? Why do we pray, why do we fast? So I'm gonna kind of shape our time around those two questions. First, what, and that's gonna be real short and practical, and then the why is gonna be less practical and more loud, probably, okay? So first of all, what is fasting? Let's just get real practical, nuts and bolts. What is fasting? We're about to do this fast. What are we talking about? So fasting is giving up food for a duration of time in order to create time and space and hunger in your life to seek God in prayer um, and, and or respond to just something that he is doing in, in your life. So here's what I mean by that. All through the Old Testament in the Bible, when God was telling them how to set up their culture and do things, there was kind of these cycles every year of feasts, praise God, and fast. See, some people think only fasting is spiritual, but somebody shout amen if you believe feasting is spiritual. So, and there was a lot more feasts than fasts, so for whatever that's worth. Anyways, he would set up, God set up a, a rhythm of feasting and a rhythm of fasting, and they were a way of responding to what God was doing. So they would feast every year as kind of memorials to times that God had did amazing things. And then they would set up fasts that were times to remember uh, times of like deep repentance as a nation or turning their hearts back to God. So it was just these rhythms of remembering and engaging with what God was doing. So we see fasting all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, Moses fasted. In the New Testament, John the Baptist fasted. And then a guy named Jesus, if you ever heard of him, he fasted. So can't be bad, right? So Jesus fasted. There was all kinds of things. And and fasting isn't even a unique thing to Christianity, actually. There's, fasting is pretty common in a lot of religions as, as a spiritual discipline. So it's nothing new. We're not making this up. It's not some weird thing that we just came up with. Um, and it's actually even found its way into the health industry, you know, like kind of doing fast or cleanses, you know, with just juice or whatever. And the idea being you take out a significant part of your diet so that you can be extra intentional about putting only certain things in in an effort to sort of clean out the system and hit a reset button. So I think that's a great analogy for what we're going for spiritually. Removing diet, removing something in our life to create space to be intentional about putting in a specific ingredient, God, so that he can clean us out and uh, turn our hearts to him, do something new. We just wanna believe God together. So that's what fasting is all about. And that's the what. I know that's not like super in depth, but I hope that that helps. And so for this fast, there's three ways for you to be involved. So write these down in your notes. They're about to be on the screens. Number one is participate. Participate in some way. Find something to give up over the course of 
these days. It might be food, it might be a meal, it might be a type of food, it might be Netflix, it might be social media, it might be something, but remove something normal to create extra time and space for God. So everybody can participate in some way. Number two, follow online. Follow the videos. If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, that'll be the easiest way to get links to the videos every day so that you can follow along. Because like I said, our whole movement is doing this together. So that's one of the power, one of the things that's so powerful about this is we're doing it unified. So we're all gonna be praying the same thing every day as thousands of people around the country. It's just so fun. So follow along. We'll have a prayer guide out. We'll have details each day, little five-minute videos on how you can spend whatever time you have, whether it's a couple minutes or an hour or whatever, on how you can be engaged in praying and seeing God move. Number three, be there. Be there Wednesday night. Let's all come together and celebrate together, press in and pray and worship and have a party Wednesday night. All right, so those are your three jobs this week. Participate in some way, follow online, and be there Wednesday night. Everybody good on the what? I'm excited. I can at least get myself excited. So that's question number one, what is fasting? Question number two, we're gonna spend the duration of our time around the why. Why should I pray and fast? And I wanna talk this morning mainly about prayer and not a whole lot about fasting. Uh, this is kind of a, my conviction, my opinion type of spot right here is that um, fasting is sort of like an accessory to prayer. Like you can pray without fasting, but if you're fasting without prayer, you're not really doing it. So. Is that making sense? You know, fast. So what, what I want to do is, is talk a lot about prayer and get us going down that way, and then you can kind of do what you want with fasting as we're headed down the road of praying, right? Okay. You can agree with me or disagree with me on that, but that's kind of, I think we're safe to kind of run in that lane this morning. So we're going to focus, focus mainly on prayer. And prayer is tough. Anybody ever, ever thought prayer is tough? Because it seems so unapproachable. I think. It's like, that's for the superstars. You know that there's, there's prayer warriors. You're like, I don't know what that is, but I'm probably not one of them. <laughs> if I was, I would know. I don't know. Prayer, prayer can be unapproachable because it's one of those things that for us, it's like, you know, I don't, it's just easy to respond. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand what prayer is. I don't know what to say. I'm not good at prayer. I've thought that tons of times. Like, surely I'm supposed to be good at this. I'm not good at it. And then sort of this idea, like I already can't see God and now I'm supposed to talk to him about what? Like, I pray for my food. What, what are we going for here on prayer? And so why, why should I pray? And, and do I really have to? Do I really have to pray? I mean, what does prayer actually accomplish? You know, if you're anything like me, I like to know what I'm trying to get done before I try to get it done, right? So what does prayer actually get accomplished? Isn't God going to like do what he's going to do anyways? How do we work into this whole thing? Some really fair questions. What what is fasting and why, why should I pray and why should I fast and do I really have to pray? And the simple answer this morning is yes. Yes, you have to pray. I knew no one would get excited about that. You have to pray. But I don't mean that in the religious, legalistic sense of you have to pray. I mean it in the same way that if you want to be a strong healthy person and do all that you know you can do in your life you need to eat some food you need to drink some water you need to get some sleep and in the same way if you want to be a strong healthy man or woman of God if you want to step into everything that God's calling you to do you have to pray 
And you can call it legalistic, you can call it rigid and all that kind of stuff and sort of bucket, or you can just get on with reality and jump in and let's actually have a better time. Yes, we have to pray. We have to pray. If you want to do all that God's called you to, if you want to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, if you want to see every fiber of our society infected with the power and the grace and the love of God, if you want to see people in your life who are lost found, if you want to see the sick healed, if you want to see progress in your family and health in your family, if you want to raise healthy kids, if you want the kingdom of God in your life, then yes, you have to pray. You have to pray. And if you're here this morning, whether you follow God or not, and you hear that list, and you're like, that sounds a little over the top, I'm good without some of that stuff, you're not going to like this message, you're probably not going to like this church, and you may not really want that much to do with Jesus, but I don't think that's who's here this morning. I think there's some people who hear that list and say, I might not even know what that means, but that sounds awesome. I want it. So let's take one step forward together. Can we do that? That's the goal for this morning. Every one of us, no matter where we are, one step forward. Everybody say, one step one step. So I had to turn to Mark chapter 9. Hey, Josh. Sorry, I was getting really distracted. Over in the hallway. Sorry. That way. Oh, that's the one. Everybody give a round of applause to Josh Brown. You thought I was distracted, but it was a trick to get you to Mark chapter 9. Kidding. Mark chapter 9, you got a pen? I know you have a pen. It's in your seat. It says Annie on it. I put it there just for you. I didn't put it there. Lindsay Frazee put it there. Get a pen out. There you go, Mark. We're going to read a little bit of a long story here in Mark chapter 9, and along the way, I'm going to have you underline some things and circle some things. So I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, and uh, you can do it. It's not that complicated, but uh, don't get lost. It's going to be okay. Mark chapter 9. So I'm going to start in verse 14. You guys ready for the Word of God? Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It's a story, and Jesus is in it, and God's going to speak to us. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, him being Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, circle faithless. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it often casts him into the fire and into water, destroy him. But if you can, circle, if you can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I want you to underline all of verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Circle again, if you can. And circle one who believes. Immediately, 
The father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I want you to underline that and circle, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, underline this, why could we not cast it out? Underline verse 29 as well, and he said to them, this kind, circle this kind, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some manuscripts add, but prayer and fasting. Wow, it's kind of an intense story. Jesus has been spending time with a few disciples. He rejoins with everybody else is where we pick up the story. He joins with the rest of the crew. There's a crowd around them, people arguing. And a father who had a son who was possessed by an evil spirit or possessed by something that really was messing with him had brought the son to Jesus because he knew Jesus could help his son, but Jesus wasn't there, so he got the disciples and he figured that's the next best thing, but the disciples couldn't pull it off. He gets the disciples, they can't do it. Jesus steps in once he gets back and he frees the boy from the spirit. It's very dramatic. There's a lot of motion and commotion and big words and it's dramatic, but Jesus steps in, he sets the boy free, and later on, maybe that day, um, I don't know if it even tells us, later on, though, the disciples come to Jesus like, okay, we've been able to do this before, but why couldn't we get that spirit out of the boy? Why couldn't we do that? And, and Jesus gives a very interesting reply when he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer or anything but prayer and fasting. Raise your hands if you've ever seen the movie How to Train Your Dragon. Nice, well done, most of you, awesome. It's a cartoon movie about some Viking kids that are sort of coming of age, and their coming of age is learning how to fight dragons. And they're going through all this training, and uh, they have practice and all this kind of stuff. And at one point, um, kind of the, the head dragon slayer teacher, I don't know, he comes up to them and he sort of gives them the handbook on how to fight dragons. And they're supposed to, they're supposed to study it. It has all the dragons listed. Uh, it has their strengths, it has their weaknesses, it has how you defend against them, how you attack against them, all of this sort of information in the dragon handbook. But there's one dragon that they don't have any information about. It's sort of this mystery dragon. And they can't figure out, it's kind of the destructive one. They don't know how to fight it. They don't know anything about this secret dragon. They don't know what to do about it. So on the surface of Mark chapter nine, I think that it sort of looks like Jesus' response to his disciples is sort of like Jesus filling in the gap on how to take care of the mystery demon, right? Like, okay, guys, you guys have been learning how to fight dragons, and so we're fighting demons and all this kind of stuff, but you found one you couldn't do anything about. And so Jesus comes up, and he's given them the How to Slay Demon handbook, right? And they kind of came up against the one, and they said, well, that page isn't there. Jesus, how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that one? And so they come to Mr. Miyagi, I mean Jesus, and they say, how do we do this? And he is this wise sensei who says, ah, but this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer and fasting. And they all say, oh. Thank you, Sensei. And everybody walks away enlightened. But 
in the context of the whole story, this is actually very clear that this is not Jesus giving a little nugget of wisdom to his disciples. This is actually a very strong rebuke because what he is saying actually has nothing to do with the demon they couldn't cast out and that they were asking about. This isn't about that at all. You see, I had you circle and underline all of these specific parts of the story because I want to make it obvious to us that the problem for the disciples was not how big the demon was, it was how small their faith was. You look back with me. Notice how little Jesus cares about this demon and how much he cares about their faith. Verse 18, they are brought this son, they can't cast out the demon. And Jesus doesn't show up and say, oh, shucks, guys. This sure is a big one. I understand. He's nasty. It's okay. Y'all step back. Let me teach you something new here. That's not Jesus' response. In verse 19, he actually looks at his disciples right in the face and he says, oh, faithless generation. How long am I supposed to be with you? Bring him to me. What happened to warm and fuzzy Jesus? We like him. What's this all about? There's this tone of Jesus when he is saying this to them of expectation, like, guys, you should be able to handle this one. You should be able to handle this one, but they're showing a lack of faith. If you go down to verse 21, Jesus asks the Father, how long has this been happening? And in verse 22, the father says it's been happening since childhood and it's often cast him into the fire and into the water. And he says, but if you can, can you just have some compassion on us and can you help us? And again, Jesus' response, if I can? Like, you don't, it, it's in quotes in my Bible. He actually says, he doesn't say if I can, he says, if you can, like that's your response, if you can? As if to say, do you know who I am? If I can, if you knew who I was, you'd know that this demon can be taken care of. You must have not got the memo yet that I actually happen to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If I can, then he says this, all things are possible for one who believes. This is mind blowing to me. Jesus is saying, if you believe I can, you can. Jesus has two whole conversations with people before doing anything about this demon. He must not be that concerned about it. He has these two whole conversations, one with the disciples, one with the dad, and then when it comes time to talk to the actual thing that they've got to take down, all he does is he turns to him and says, oh, and by the way, I command you, get out, never come back. When Jesus says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. He's not talking about the boy's demon. He's talking about the disciples' unbelief. Do I have anybody in the house this morning that follows Jesus? You're a follower of Jesus. That's, that's good. I want to give us a challenge this morning and give you a challenge this morning to stop approaching Jesus with an if-you-can approach. Let's not pray, if you can help me, if you can heal her, if you care, God, could you maybe? 
If you can hear me, if you're able, if it's your will, he can. He can. I'm going to show you he can. I'm just going to go through a few verses here about what he can do. So we don't have to ask anymore if he can. Here we go. Luke chapter 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty for the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty for all who are oppressed. Matthew chapter 10. The kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. He can. Luke 4, 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, because he can Ephesians 3.20, how about this one? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. He can, he can. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5.1, who the Son sets free is free. 1 John 4.4, 4. The one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I need somebody with faith to shout, he can. He can. We don't have to ask if you can anymore. He can. He can. And I love you. And Jesus is amazing. And some of you this morning, you've got some demons in your life. And you can call it whatever you want. Regrets, sin, hopelessness, insecurity, self-deprecating habits, fear, pain. You can call it what you want, but whatever you call it is tormenting you. And you think you need a breakthrough, but what you really need is some belief. You need some belief. And this morning, right now, it's time for some of us in this room to stop waiting on something more to happen. And it's time for us to start staring some of these devils in the face saying, I command you, get out and never come back. And when he tries to come back, you stand your ground and say, I told you, never come back. See, we say never come back and think he's going to listen. Just because you got tempted him again doesn't mean you didn't get set free. Come on, somebody. When we read about this son... We are reading about the world we're living in right now. This is our world. Again, you can call the demon, demons, you can call it whatever you want. Brokenness, a demon, sin, human nature. You call it life, whatever you want. But all I know is that whatever you call it, whenever it flares its nasty head, it's throwing us, convulsing us into the fire, Las Vegas, and the waters of hurricanes. Whatever it is, it's nasty. This is the world that we're living in. And what is not needed is a bunch of Christians who don't believe. Who don't believe it's going to get any better. Oh, it's just going to get worse. Let's put up some billboards about how the world is ending. What we need to do is embrace this amazing news of the grace of God, get ourselves before Jesus and believe for God to move. That's what we need. That's what we need. So what does all this have to do with prayer? Let me ask you this question. 
in this story, who moved Jesus? Who moved Jesus? It was not the disciples who had the best relationship with him. It was not the religious leaders of the day. It was not the crowd or the hype of a moment. It was a desperate dad that moved Jesus. We've got to get this. We've got to get this because, again, I know the hurdles when it comes to prayer. I have the same hurdles. I know. Prayer, as much as anything, fits into the category of that'd be great if, if I knew how, if I had time, if I knew what to say, and I get it. I get all the hurdles, but we've got to understand that Jesus isn't looking for professionals who have it all figured out. He's not looking for people with degrees and titles. He's not moved by elite disciples and official leaders and big crowds. Jesus is moved by desperate mothers and fathers who have just enough faith to know they don't have another option. That's all Jesus is looking for. This dad teaches us how to pray. Verse 22, have compassion on What's it say? Us. And help. What's it say? Us. Have compassion on us and help us. This man did not come to Jesus with a project. He came to him with his son. Mothers and fathers don't just pray for them over there. They pray for us. They pray for us. So when it comes to prayer, are you praying for them? out there or by the love of God are you entering in to the pain are you entering into the need and are you seeking God for us I know you don't have the words but if you have the love it's a lot more powerful anyways your love is more powerful than your words help us have compassion on us and in verse 23 I believe help me in my unbelief doesn't tell us how long the disciples tried working on this demon, how many special prayers they prayed, how loud they got. Doesn't say how, long, how hard they tried getting this thing out, but what we do see is that it took seven words from the dad. Seven words. I believe, help me in my unbelief. You don't need to know how God's going to get it done when God's gonna get it done, why God's gonna get it done. You just need to know that God can get it done. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. If you can love, if you can believe, you can pray prayers that change the world. In the car line to pick up your kids, in the hallway, walking to a meeting, in the moment that you don't pull out your phone while you're waiting for somebody, and yes, in the prayer meeting, during the fast, and in your time with God, yes, in all of these things, everything that's telling you that you're not equipped, that you don't know how, that you don't have time, that you can't, it's all a lie. It's all a lie trying to keep you from realizing the world-changing power and potential of your moment of faith before the living God. 
Don't worry about what you don't have. Never underestimate the power of a desperate moment before the living God. Just a moment. Just a moment. Why do we pray? Because we have to pray. Because people need us to pray. Because we can pray. And when we pray, we learn to believe. Because all prayer is, is saying, I believe. I believe enough to show up. I believe enough to say it. Help me in my unbelief, but at least I'm here. I believe enough to be here. I'm just keep saying I believe till I learn to believe. And when you believe, all things are possible. We have to pray. Our world is being tormented by things and we have power over them in the name of Jesus. We've got to pray. So we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray and we're gonna fast over the next three days because there's no other option and because it's gonna be awesome. I know you want practicals. I know I'm not really giving a bunch of practicals this morning. But over the next three days, like I've already said, we're going to make sure that you are able to pray. We're going to make sure, so make sure you check out the videos each day, be at our time Wednesday night, and we're going to send out a prayer guide as well that our whole movement is praying over these next few days. So this is what the things that everybody in the Antioch movement is going to be praying over the next few days. Here's what they're going to be. Radical prayer. We're praying that we become a people who pray. The disciples, they saw Jesus pray, and they saw that it worked. And so the best question they ever asked was, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? So that's what we're going to do. Jesus, would you help us pray? Radical fellowship. We're going to pray that we'd have deep relationship. And that what God, what God does in and amongst us and the churches in our city and the churches in our nation would be so powerful, so influential, so, so a must-see that it would turn the world to Jesus. Jesus said, they're gonna know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. We'll be radical in our fellowship. We're gonna be radical in evangelism. We're gonna pray that everybody on this planet, from the unreached nations of the world to your neighbors and coworkers and friends and family would hear the name of Jesus and turn their hearts and find life in him. If we're gonna pray, let's pray big ones because all things are possible. I want you to stand this morning as we get ready to wrap up our time. Like I said, the best way to learn to pray is to pray. So that's what we're going to do right now. It's going to be short. So if you're terrified, maybe you won't even have to pray out loud. You'll get lucky. But what I want you to do is just initiate with some people around you. Get with maybe a total of four or five people. And we're going to pray. We're gonna pray for a few minutes before we worship one more song. Pray for your workplace. Pray for your kids. Pray for our nation. Pray that we would turn to God. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your family. Pray, just pray. Pray for something. Believe for something. You know someone who needs an encounter with Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for them. And we're not gonna take an hour. It's a few moments, but don't underestimate what could happen. You know someone who, knew, who needs healing. You know the names of people who are hurting, who are struggling. You know that our city needs Jesus. So we're going to pray. So some of you, be bold right now. Turn to somebody right now. Tap a few people on the shoulder. Get into groups of four or five or something. Introduce yourself real quick. You don't have to know what you're doing. And then just go one at a time. One person in your group. Just start praying. 
And uh, I'll close us here in just a moment and we will worship one more song together. You can do it. we love you. We need you this morning. Lord, I see a people, I see a people rising up to pray prayers that change everything. Lord, I see you putting faith inside of our hearts just one step at a time. Lord, would you teach us to believe? Would you teach us to pray? God, I see a city. I see workplaces. I see families. I see neighborhoods that are tormented, Lord, that are far, that are dying, that are broken, that are silent, that are thrown into the fire and the the waves of life. I see a city, God, but we believe. We believe, Jesus. Would you come in our nation? We partner with the church of our nation right now, and we ask, God, would you turn the heart of the people of the United States of America to your face? Turn our hearts to you, God. Humble us. Teach us to come to you, to turn from our wicked ways, and would you heal our land? We ask for every head of government. We ask for our president today and every single other elected official from the federal to the state and the city level. Lord, we ask for a sweeping move of God among the government in our land. Lord, we ask for a unity in our churches. We ask for a move of the Holy Spirit and repentance in our land. Lord, would you raise up another Jesus movement greater than the one we saw that would last for generations of people seeing that what they are turning to is not satisfying, but great are you, Lord. Great are you, not great are my problems, great are my demons, great are my sins and my regrets and my shortcomings, but great is your goodness, great is your forgiveness, great is the steadfast love of the Lord over all who call on his name. And so we call on your name this morning. You bring life, you bring life, you bring life. Great are you, Lord. We love you this morning, God. Come, O 